Welcome to the Colorful Clipboard, where we discuss the building blocks of making dough in childcare. I'm Kate. And I'm Carrie. All right. Well, welcome back to Colorful Clipboard. And today we are going to talk more about some more food stuff. So if you heard us a couple of weeks ago, we had done an episode on uh, making money in your kitchen. And so today we're going to talk about things to think about related to your kitchen when you're doing menu planning and how complicated some of your kids' dietary needs may have become and how to hopefully give you some insight. For those of you who may not know, Carrie is a mom of a couple of kids (laughs) (laughs) um, who did have some dietary issues that were identified a little later than their preschool years. However, Carrie and I both have had a lot of experience with young kids in our programs, in our school-age programs, in our summer camps, who did have... Let's see. I had one student with PKU, which means they can't have any protein, which meant pretty much they couldn't eat anything that I bought except for rice cakes. Their parents brought everything in, and we tried to make sure, you know, we worked with them to make sure that they had the menu long enough in advance that they could order the prescription food for their child that most closely resembled goldfish or whatever. We've had anaphylactic fish allergies. We've got, of course, the corn allergy. Ugh. And gluten. Yep. Um, and more and than gluten sensitivities. Nuts. And tree nuts. Uh, and peanuts. And milk and eggs. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure there's others if we if we really thought about it. Soybeans. Okay, so strawberries and soybeans, mustard, tomatoes, <laughs> rice. Um anyway. Okay, so now that we've finished Carrie's family. <laughs> okay, not all of those were me or my kids. But yeah, okay, so she doesn't have the peanut butters, but <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, you know, all of the some of these things can be sensitivities and some are allergies. So we're going to use Kate's medical background to talk a little bit about the difference between a sensitivity and an allergy. So what's the difference between somebody being lactose intolerant or having a lactose allergy, a milk allergy? Usually an intolerance means that they end up with an upset stomach or perhaps some diarrhea, mood changes, mood changes. But a lot of times the mood changes actually have turned out to be an actual side effect. So an actual allergy. But usually it's more, it happens all the time. But I'm going to go with the term that's a little less severe. And part of that, I think, is whether or not people really got tested. Uh, We have more and more people getting blood tests and allergy tests for foods than we did 20 years ago. So in the last 20 years, Carrie and I have definitely seen a huge swing in people controlling a lot of things that used to get a label that are now being controlled by what people put in their food. Red dye. um, Sugars. So a lot of those kinds of things are very much something that uh, child care providers have to be aware of. Well, and it's just so hard because like... Your state licensing agency will tell you, you have to give kids dairy, you know, something in the dairy food group this many times a day, and they have to have fruits and vegetables this many times a day, and they have to have stuff with high beta carotene this many times a week, and stuff like that. But how, I mean, if you've got a parent who says, 
we're controlling my child's allergies, environmental allergies, by having them not drink milk because then they don't create as much mucus. Okay, well, that's not a food allergy. That's an intolerance and it's a treating a different condition by saying you can't have milk. Okay, so now I have a question back to you because that's a great point is with some of this, do these families need to have doctor's notes on file for you so that you are covered by for those regulations in texas if you're feeding them anything other than what the state says you have to feed them so the state says dairy and dairy means it came from a cow or a goat or a sheep it can be any of those three but those are what is considered dairy soy milk almond milk oat milk flax milk none of that is considered dairy so I can't give them soy milk and have it count for dairy. It has to come from a mammal. If it doesn't come from a mammal, it's not dairy. So I can't give them soy cheese and have that count as their dairy without a note from a doctor. If the doctor writes a prescription or the doctor writes a note saying, because of their medical issues, we are substituting X for Y, then I have to have that and it needs to go in my files in the kitchen as well as in that child's confidential medical file. Okay, so when you start thinking about that, only because last, you know, a couple of weeks ago we talked about food program, some of that stuff gets pretty expensive. How does that compare when you do things like with the food program? Are you given any... The food program is pretty much they pay for, in the case of dairy, if it comes out of a mammal. They don't pay for the substitutions. And so a lot of centers will say, if your child needs to have something different, then you need to provide it. There's nothing in the law that is very clear about whether you have to provide or not. But it seems like they're not saying that that's discriminatory. It's not an ADA compliance issue. If a parent has a medical need like, again, they have an actual allergy to the proteins in lactose, um, then you have to make available a way for them to eat that. Like I said, with the child who had PKU, we made it so that even though we were on the food program, she only ate the like four things on our menu that she could and everything else her parents provided. And that was compliant with ADA. Okay, so you just brought up a great point, and we didn't talk about it before, but let's talk menus. So if you aren't a person who generally fixes menus at home, where's a good place to start if you're a child care center who has some food allergies? Um, is, there, is there any place for me to go find, uh, you know, menu ideas? The USDA has some good menu ideas, some, and they have stuff that is gluten-free and they have stuff that is dairy-free and they have stuff that is nut-free. So I'd start at the USDA food program website. It actually well, what if has, I'm not doing the food program? You can still use their menus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just because you're not taking their money doesn't mean you can't take their resources. They're providing it free to everybody who can read English. Can you read English? Last time I checked. Then you can use their menus. And if you can understand us... <laughs> then probably you're doing okay with the reading of English. So that's where I would start. But the other thing is think back to what are snacks that your grandma fed you? Because if your grandma fed it to you, it's probably pretty easy to make 
gluten-free or nut-free. Your grandmother was not a fancy cook when she was feeding you when you were seven years old. Your grandmother was like, you're hungry. It's the morning. Have some oatmeal. Oatmeal, very easy to make gluten-free. You just buy the gluten-free oats. Ta-da. That's it. You add the water and then you let the children add whatever toppings they want, the raisins or the nuts or the milk. And that way, your child who can't have milk is probably not going to add milk to their oatmeal. They're going to add raisins or walnuts or whatever. So the foods that, you know, our grandmother fed us, you know, corn on the cob, pretty easy afternoon snack. And unless the kid's allergic to corn, corn on the cob does not have allergens. It's just a hunk of corn that they get to chow down on. What are other, what are some snacks that, you know, you had growing up? Well, so we did the carrots and the apples and the peanut butters and the yogurts and, you know, the dippy stuff, you know, so I was a, a big, you know, uh, peanut butter, you know, on the celery and. Even know. though your mom was allergic to peanuts? She was actually only allergic to soy. So she could have oh, a certain okay. amount of peanut butter. But um, so, yeah, so I did grow up with pretty much nothing that looked like it was an artificially based product. Right. So we had lots of triscuits lots and lots of triscuits and lots of cheese and so we had lots of cheese and crackers okay well that works unless you've got gluten or um dairy but you know again snacks that you ate when you were a little kid it's pretty easy to make an adjustment to those snacks it's when we get locked into well the kids want to have chicken nuggets I don't care that the kids want to have chicken nuggets at lunch. I really don't. I never served a kid a chicken nugget at a childcare center. Never once. Haven't done it. And none of them starved or cried until they got a headache. <laughs> okay. So basically, I think where Carrie's going with that is you are the grown up. You are the program. You are deciding the menu. So this is a really great opportunity for you to embrace the cultures and have conversations with those families. So in addition to understanding why certain families might have pulled certain foods out, so whether or not you have a kid who might have had behavior issues that they have completely modified by this kid now being gluten-free and red dye-free, and sometimes these families give you this list and you start to panic and maybe it's a two-sided note card. And if you actually have a conversation with the parent and find out what the kid eats at home, you might find it's actually really simple. It's real meat and real vegetables and basically all the processed stuff is gone. And if you talk Which to the parents. Cheaper. I mean, serving kids real chicken is cheaper than serving them chicken nuggets as far as the raw cost of the food. It may take 15 more minutes for your cook to cook it than if they were just throwing it on the pan already prepared. But it's 15 minutes to shake the chicken in some you know, whatever you're using as the adhering agent and then shaking it in whatever you're using as the coating agent and then throw it on the pan. It's 15 minutes. It's not going to make or break your kitchen. You could always just have grilled or baked chicken. <gasps> oh, no. <laughs> I actually saw somebody who um, I thought it was really, it was great. It was their solution to the chicken nugget was they literally would take, because it was a program on a budget, they would take skinless, boneless thighs and and whack the heck out of them, right? So all of a sudden they now have a sheet of chicken. And they got those cute little 
cookie, cookie cutter cutters. things and they were like cookie cuttered all these little shapes out of the out of the dark meat and you know the kids just thought it was great it was like the best thing ever and so it was way more work than I'd probably do for my kids they'd probably just get it chopped up and set here but again if you're looking for an alternative to a chicken nugget that because definitely is going to chicken nugget it. has corn and wheat and egg so that's three high profile allergens right there in that one food that you can take care of by just beating the heck out of some chicken you yeah, know go go find a rubber mallet uh meat tenderizer <laughs> anyway so so but seriously your families are going to be a great resource for you so ask them what the kids eat at home if you have people who the foods are more religious based or faith based or culturally based then again have conversations with them and if you find yourself that the person in your kitchen can't make a, a black bean worth nothing again have a conversation with somebody and maybe somebody can come teach your kitchen help how to like actually cook that food instead of whatever it is that they're serving. And I know that that has been really beneficial, uh, not just for the kitchen help, but also for the other people, anybody else who might find themselves in the kitchen. So for example, if it was me, <laughs> I, I would be in there learning any tricks that you have for beans, for, for any bean product, because I can't seem to make a bean or a lentil um, I, I got some it, lentil soup in the fridge. I'll give it to you. When uh, you unless out. they're the easy ones. Like I can do the five minute version, but if it's a real one that I have to make into something, that's just not happening. <laughs> so, but you know, as a program, you're all, we're always talking about the bottom line. What is the money component? So if we're trying to deal with the fact that we have three kids who are gluten free. Okay. So we'll just take that one. Cause that one's the current sexy thing, right? Is gluten free. So how do you, what am I supposed to do with the no, you know, we serve peanut butter and jelly sandwiches every Friday. How do I do that? Here's the thing. You can buy gluten-free bread, which is not inexpensive. But what the kids at my program loved when they had gluten-free classmates is instead of making peanut butter and jelly on bread, we would make it on the big rice cakes. And all the kids thought that was the best thing ever. Right, The plain rice cakes with peanut butter and jelly. Kids got so excited, especially if you tell them that on Sesame Street, what Cookie Monster is eating is rice cakes. They just paint it with food dye to make it look like a cookie. So Cookie Monster is actually a rice cake monster. Um, and so that's an easy, you know, flip a sandwich into that. If you're talking about, okay, well, what about we make quesadillas, corn tortillas, corn tortillas are fine and they work really well for quesadillas. As a matter of fact, that's where they came from. <laughs> Actually, and really make sure even more, pay attention to the ingredients. Yes, and again, some corn quesadillas do have some flour in them. Um, some people use flour to, uh, they call it sanding the press. But anyway, but you can find all corn, corn tortillas. You can use those for enchiladas. You can use them for tacos. You can use them for all of that stuff. It's not a problem. So anything that you would use a flour tortilla, you can use a corn tortilla. If you were thinking, okay, well, but what about meat and cheese sandwiches? Just make meat and cheese roll-ups and give them Triscuits. Except for the kid who can't have them because they're gluten-free. But everybody else gets Triscuits. They get nut thins. They look very similar. 
it's not going to freak people out. So it's basically they're making homemade Lunchables. <laughs> um, what's another gluten-y thing that people... Uh, fish sticks. Pasta. Okay, we'll do pot. pasta. Um, I would, in that case, I would buy some of the gluten-free pasta. Whatever amount of time it tells you to cook it, like if it says seven minutes, cook it for six. Always take one minute off on gluten-free pasta because otherwise it gets to be a mushy, gross thing. They don't understand what they're writing on the boxes. Um, the other thing is just, can you ever just tell the parents, can you bring in the, I mean, if, you just, absolutely. if you're on a budget, can you can you afford the the fancy mac and cheese? Can you just tell the parents to bring it? You can. And I have done that. And like I said, some cases the parents are perfectly okay. Other cases they get a little touchy. But again, if you talk about this at the time of the tour, make your expectations clear. This drives me crazy when people don't address issues like this at the tour and the orientation. So maybe you didn't get it at the tour. Fine. Talk about it at orientation. Don't go six weeks and then have some big blow up because they're like, my kid's always coming home with hives. <laughs> yeah so parent handbook okay so this would be something that you have to decide and since i often talk about it from a marketing standpoint make sure you know what the other programs in your neighborhood are doing if everybody is having the kids pack a lunch that's different than everybody serving a hot lunch and a hot breakfast you have to know if you're in a community where everybody is serving a hot breakfast and a hot lunch and you're telling everybody to eat before they come and pack a lunch chances are you're going to have a hard time competing with your neighbors. Yeah, definitely. And again, the food allergies are not as scary as you think if you just communicate with the parents, ask them what they're eating at home, and talk to other people who've had to deal with that food allergy. I don't care how weird it seems, you know, there's a kid allergic to codfish. Okay, are you really feeding the kids that much cod? Just take fish sticks off the menu. Most of them are very easy to handle. And if you have a food allergy that you don't know how to handle, email me. Okay, I can help you with the food allergies. I've had one kid who was gluten-free for a while and another kid who was allergic to 22 things and had to carry an EpiPen with her. She's now managed to reset her body and no longer has to carry an EpiPen. Yay! And we can help you with that. But you can handle this. Trust us. Food allergies and food intolerances are not as scary as you think. Thank you for listening to Colorful Clipboards. Connect with us on social media at Colorful Clipboard or send us an email to hello at Colorful Clipboards. Send us your voicemail with your own questions and stories. If you want to keep learning with us, visit Texas Director, where we continue to have seminars, licensing, programs, and more. This show has been made by me, Carrie Casey, and Kate Young, with assistance from Hallie Casey and Marie Young. If you learned something today, share the show.